why do we need your stamp of approval if we know we're doing the right things? And I agree with that. You know, it's like a farmer saying we don't apply any fertilizers or insecticides or anything like that. Why do I need the stamp of approval to say that we're organic? We know that we're organic. Um, I think it's just this added sense of confidence that you relate and uh, push towards your customers to say it's not just us making the claims, but we have a third party who has validated our claims. And yes, we are organic. Yes, we are actually lowered emissions because of all these uh, different initiatives that we've taken. So that was a short clip from one of just the inspiring moments with my next guest, Layla, on the Sustainable Kind Show. So she is the founder of Waste to Resources Solutions that helps companies understand their carbon emissions and what can be done to reduce that on a day-to-day and also on a larger operation basis. So it's a really interesting interview where we talk about how companies uh, can start to track this internally within their own procedures, but also understanding how did she get to where she is now, moving from a background in nonprofit work all the way to taking that leap with her own entrepreneurial journey. Leila and I are both MES grads from Western University, so that was also really cool to connect with her, and that's essentially how we actually first uh, spoke and connected on LinkedIn. So I'm so excited to share this episode and to continue the conversation around sustainability that's so important for us to have. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and feel free to reach out to Leila or myself on LinkedIn I can't wait to hear your thoughts about this awesome episode. Thanks again, Leila, for taking the time to speak with me. Okay, this is your host, Alex Leonard, and I am here with Leila Natag. We're going to be diving in and really trying to understand how to run a sustainable, focused business and how to do that with integrity, authenticity, and communicating trustworthiness. And so I'm so interested uh, to hear a little bit more of your success stories, Leila, and to learn how you've been able to build up Waste to Resources Solutions, W2R, and really what's been your success over the years. And so I thank you for connecting with me. I believe we reached out through LinkedIn because we both, uh, funny enough, actually are graduates of the same program through Western University, the Masters of Environmental uh, Sustainability. And we spoke briefly about that, but I know we'll dive more into that uh, shortly. But yeah, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to come and speak with me and for all the great work that you're doing. And just as we were starting, we were talking about how you've actually recently made a transition moving from uh, London and Ontario to Ohio. And so I guess like first question for you, uh, that's a really interesting move to go from Canada to the US with your company. So do you mind maybe first question, starting off and explaining a little bit what your company specializes in within the sustainable environmental sector? And secondly, why did you uh, decide to make that uh, that big leap? Yeah, of course. Uh, It's great to be here. Yeah, so in terms of the work that I do at W2R Solutions, it's looked different throughout the years, and I've only been in business for two and a half years, so I'm still fairly new, and I'm always 
uh, evolving and recreating the business as I go. There's really no blueprint for for doing your own thing. And um, um, I'm fortunate to just make my own path there. So now my focus is that um, because the climate crisis is here and the consumers are demanding environmental responsibility from the brands that they support, um, it's pushing some businesses to make claims about their products that are in essence, just false. They're not backed by any claims, but they say it's eco-friendly, it's compostable, it's biodegradable without um, really providing any evidence of that. So what I do is I help businesses that are really sustainability focused and purpose-driven to quantify, measure their impact, and then they can share that with their stakeholders um, in a in a very transparent way, because now that it's stated, um, it's backed up by data and science. So I help them stand out in this very crowded market space. I help them to avoid greenwashing, and then they can use that information and share it with their customers to educate them. They can share it with their investors and say, hey, look, this is the impact we're having, and this is how we're different. Or to simply say, this is a third-party claim um, we're not just tooting our own horns, but it's just backed up by something uh, real. And the reason I made my leap to the U.S. on the other side of the border uh, was mostly personal. Uh, so I got married a couple of years ago to my uh, American husband, and we just planned for me to move there. Uh, everything was delayed because of COVID, as I'm sure it was for everybody else. Uh, so it took a while for it to finalize. Um, and so, yeah, that happened in 2021. So it's, it's a different world. I definitely miss Canada and all of my family, friends, and just the landscape in general, but uh, it's also nice to have a fresh start in a new country too. Amazing. Well, congratulations on the move and, and thanks for sharing that. There's a few things I want to come back to and dive in here, uh, but curious, did you did you meet your husband in London, Ontario? Because I know you had mentioned that you'd uh, been living there for the past uh, like 20 years or so and having studied there as well. Uh, so was he also a student at, at Western? He was not. I actually met him at a work conference uh, through Goodwill, uh, Goodwill Industries, the thrift-based charity. Um, so we met at a conference and yeah, we just started chatting from there and keeping in touch and doing long distance for about five years. Um, yeah, and I can talk more about my time at Goodwill. It was very interesting um, because it's still kind of related to what I do now. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's how I met him. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I did see that on your LinkedIn, and I want to come back to that in a sec, but I want to focus first on waste to resources and talking a little bit about another thing that you had mentioned, which was the essential need that businesses have now more than ever, really, to be showing the facts of their carbon footprint, right? That they need to be transparent and they need to be upfront about what is that footprint, whether it's their environmental commitments, whether it's the amount of energy they're using, what it's they're doing to help uh, encourage more diversity and community connections and giving back. And really, like I think having an understanding of your metrics when it comes to your carbon emissions is really huge dependent of course on the business sector you're in but you know diving a bit uh, a few layers underneath that understanding that need for transparency of information 
why do you think that within a North American context, that needs to become more prevalent now than it has been in the past? And do you think that that requirement for transparency from businesses will become a global phenomenon? Or do you think that that will be more localized here within a North American context and maybe contextual the other way, but it's not going to spread necessarily like wildfire? Yeah, good question. I think the transparency need is there because we just need to be educated more beyond what we see with our five senses. Um, you know, we see pictures of plastic waste in the ocean and turtles eating plastic bags. We know this is bad, like we can see it. Um, and we understand that that's easy to understand. But the part that is not in our faces, basically what we need to, we need to see. So it's, it's the impact of everything else that we don't think about uh, indirectly, uh, whether it's what happens to our recyclables when we, once we put it at the curb or we drop off a bag of donations at Goodwill, what happens to it? It's also just the impact of everything else that we just don't realize, like, you know, the conversation that we're having now on Zoom, uh, this data usage has an impact and it's we're not really aware of this because it's not common knowledge. We don't have this intuitive sense of like, what's the environmental cost of X, Y, Z? We just don't have that. Um, and I think the more that we have these conversations, the more we can build up that muscle to say, oh yeah, okay. Now I know that, um, you know, perhaps imported flowers that you get to give to your loved one on Valentine's day, is a little bit more impactful than local flowers. Um, so it, it takes a while to build up that, that muscle and um, that sense of what the environmental costs of products are. And it's just a matter of if brands really want to win and they want to communicate this information, the best way to do it is just to do it transparently and uh, educate the consumers. And hopefully that'll have this ripple effect where they not only make the right choice, but it translates to their families and friends and coworkers and so forth. And we can all, um, transition together. And whether it becomes global or local, I think I think it'll probably start out local because every every region's different and we'll have different priorities. And now with the pandemic, priorities have shifted. So I think it really depends on what certain region or country is going through and what makes sense for them. Uh, but I believe really in the next 10 years that carbon is going to be in a new calorie, that all of our products are going to be carbon labeled, like all of our food are uh, labeled with caloric information. So it's coming. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, I, I hope so. That's a really in innovative and interesting idea to have. Uh, the carbon impact on the back, like the nutritional values. And it, there's something that you said there that I'd like to get your thoughts on, which is environmental consciousness when it comes to consumer behaviors. Or how would you prescribe what you see happening where people are becoming more environmentally aware in their uh, purchase behavior? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it is perhaps just that awareness that translates into uh, our one of our senses. Uh, and yeah, I see it with myself. Um, 
I'm not perfect by any means. I still go out and sometimes buy meat-based or animal-based uh, protein products. And, but the awareness is always there of like, you know, oh, I, I could be doing this or um, this, just knowing that there's better alternatives out there. Um, and I think over time it just gets stronger and you just subconsciously look for those better alternatives that can support your your awareness and your sense but yeah it's definitely a building and it's just nice to have that demand from all consumers to say oh we we really want something that is biodegradable we want something that is local or plant-based um or whatever yeah and kind of like what you're saying earlier right like it's almost a muscle that you can flex and you become better and it becomes more habitual so and we've been speaking a lot from like a consumer perspective, but I almost want to come back and say from a business perspective, you know, we've talked about the elements of trust. We've talked about the credibility and why this makes sense. Talk to me about, say, like a best case you've had, you know, a previous client without divulging too many details, but where you saw a really drastic turnaround, where they didn't realize the amount of emissions, whether they were scope one or scope two emissions, but or even scope three, but you helped them identify that, uh, prevent that problem, whether it either created a savings or it created a new revenue um, through being able to market that. Is there a particular case study that you've had uh, with your, your few years in business that you want to highlight or share? Yeah, there's a few different ones. Um, so one of the most recent projects that I just finished was measuring the impact of a roofing material that's made out of bamboo products. And uh, their target um, demographic is low-income communities in India. The problem is that, so what they're trying to do is to compete with the alternatives and the alternatives are fiber based um sorry fiber cement panels which often have asbestos containing in them which as we know is uh terrible for our health and the other alternative is metal roofing which again in india it just gets really hot in the summer months and um it's not great for people's health when it just gets so hot. Um, and so what the customer eco shelter was trying to do was say, this is our impact and this is how it compares to the alternatives to approach investors and field their questions and just do it in a very confident way to say, yes, we have calculated our impact and this is what it looks like. Um, so that has been great. I haven't gotten any updates yet, but I know that uh, they reached out and said our report has proven to be uh, very useful because our investors had a lot of questions and we were able to answer those questions with your report. So that's been great. And another example was a, um, a rubber recycling uh, facility. So they take car tires and they recycle them into different products. Some of them are just like um, flooring, like gym flooring or some safety materials like trucks for uh, trucks. Um, but a new product that they came out with is these shipping pallets that are made with recycled rubber. And because they're made with rubber, they're really durable. So they last up to 200 uses, whereas the typical wooden pallet lasts about five to 20 uses. And again, this is a part that we can't just rely on our senses. Yes, we see wood and it looks good because it's plant-based. Um, 
but it only lasts like a fraction of the uses as that rubber tire. Um, so through our work, um, I was able to put together the results so they could compare themselves to the alternative or wood or plastic pallets and then to have it in their pitch deck. So when they approach different transportation companies like the giants, um, they can say, hey, this is what it looks like. And over the course of time, over a thousand trips or 5,000 trips or whatever, um, you need less pallets so that you're buying less. So it's cheaper. And also it's going to save you uh, environmentally in terms of greenhouse gas emissions because you don't need to uh, bring as much in. You are not going to have the same waste and um, it'll just last a lot longer. So uh, it's been great to have those case studies uh, in my back pocket and just be able to help these businesses who are doing great things to keep growing. And that's what really keeps me going as well. Wow, fascinating. I love the uh, drawback that he made to the census because it's so true. If I were to see a, a plastic, you know, rubbery pallet, I may be like, what are they doing? What's going on? We're going a step backwards. We were using wood before, but to understand from a life cycle assessment, right? If the wooden ones only take five to 20 uses while the rubbers are much more durable, then you can actually preserve uh, and probably use less energy overall, especially because it sounds like the plastic that's being used in those second pallets are recycled plastic, right? So you're just upcycling versus say harvesting um, virgin wood that you would need for say the wooden pallets. Now I'm not sure, like, I, I don't have, I don't work with wooden pallets. Maybe they do use recycled wood as well from construction. I'm sure there's a wide range and someone's probably doing it and someone's not. Um, but yeah, in interesting to talk about the, the benefits that having the carbon tracking and having carbon calculations and why that can not only be beneficial to a customer standpoint, but also for a business from a B2B standpoint where you can bring those metrics to stakeholders, to investors, right, to other partners and be like, hey, look, you should work with us. This is why, you know, we live and breathe this. Here's proof we can present this to you that we actually know what we're doing, right? And so from your experience, from your success with your own business, what made you decide to go from working uh, previously with someone like Goodwill, which is a, you know, a large, I'm not I think they're a multinational um, nonprofit to trying to do your own private consultancy W2R solutions. What would you say are some of the main uh, like skills that you've been able to bring over from having worked with a larger team and learning from that type of scale and size? to being more of the solopreneur and slowly starting to build your own team now again, but being the head of your own company. So the leap that I made, and it was really a leap because when I left, I didn't have another job lined up, uh, but I had gotten to a point where I felt like I was not growing anymore. I was not developing my skills. I was not being challenged and um, hey, I guess what a better way to challenge yourself than to start your own business. Uh, yeah, so I just felt I, I was stagnant and I just felt like I had more potential and it wasn't fair to to my employer for me to be there, not be happy and not producing um, 
quality work. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to leave and I'll, I'll figure it out. I don't know what I want to do. I want to work in water. I want to work in waste. I don't know. Uh, so I just took off. And uh, what I really kind of connected with was someone who was working at Goodwill. Um, she was actually renting space from uh, Goodwill and she had started her own business there and it was fashion design. And um, I loved what she was all about because she was creating um, local clothes, um, which is actually unheard of to have a local manufacturing of clothing uh, using local talent with a sustainable uh, fabric. So mostly bamboo based products, which again is kind of a game changer in this fast fashion world. And I felt really drawn to her and I thought, wow, what an incredible, impactful uh, social enterprise. And I love this story. Um, and of course, throughout the years, I, I kept in touch with her. When I started my business, I kind of just gravitated towards what I was doing before. So I was working in uh, waste management, just trying to help other businesses to reduce their waste, extract uh, what resources there may be in their waste and trying to recycle that, reuse it in some way, hence the name Waste to Resources. Um, and when the pandemic hit, it was just this time of like, okay, well, I can't go back to the same facilities or retailers as before. I probably can't go to the same recycling facilities as before. So what can I do? Um, and what I realized was I like the piece of reporting. So if um, and I'm working with a retailer who's uh, recycling two tons of cardboard a month, what does that look like in terms of water savings and greenhouse gas savings and so forth? Um, and then finally enough, at the same time, uh, the same fashion designer, Carmina the Young, uh, who I met at Goodwill, um, was also transitioning to making medical uh, gowns uh, from recycled plastics. And this is where she reached out to me and said, you know, we're, we're applying for this grants because we want to do this work and we want, we're interested in knowing what the environmental impact looks like. And I thought, wow, this this can actually be a thing. I can actually just measure impact and help businesses, whether they're wanting to apply for funding or investors, educate their customers, like they can do this work. And I thought there's actually value in this. Um, so again, it was just this natural progression and natural evolution and fine tuning of my business. Um, so I did help Carmina to with that grant application. And next thing you know, they got a two or $3 million grant. Um, which was just fantastic. And I was like, yes, okay, this can work. It was just that confirmation that uh, this idea can work. And um, I guess it just started from there. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, and I can see that progression and realizing the potential for helping businesses who don't have this as the forte, but really be able to, to know that. And not only is it helpful externally, but internally, right? Like it creates a bit of pressure, but it also creates a bit of goalposts for them where they know where their bench line is and they are taking that initiative to, to get to that next stage. So for you, if, if you're speaking with a company that's unsure, they don't necessarily see the value in tracking their emissions or really taking environmental assessment of the impact of their business, right? Maybe they don't see the value in it. What would you say is the most common objection, actually, that you hear when you're doing uh, lead prospecting? Yeah, I think the most common objection is just the fact that 
they say, well, we're doing all the right things. Well, we're sourcing secondary material, we're using recycled content, um, and we are using the material that we know has less impact, like we're using the right kinds of plastics that's also recycled. Um, and why do we need your business? What Basically, why do we need your stamp of approval if we know we're doing the right things? And I agree with that. You know, it's like a farmer saying we don't apply any fertilizers or insecticides or anything like that. Um, why do I need the stamp of approval to say that we're organic? We know that we're organic. Um, I think it's just this added sense of confidence that you relate and uh, push towards your customers to say it's not just us making the claims, but we have a third party who has validated our claims. And yes, we are organic. Yes, we are actually lowered emissions because of um, all these uh, different initiatives that we've taken. So it's really, yeah, it's up to the brand to decide how much confidence they want to give to their customers. And I think in this space of so much greenwashing to make sure that you have data-driven uh, information to give to your customers and educate them on claims. But at the end of the day, it's up, up to the customer to make that choice for themselves. And um, if their customers really believe in them, and I guess they're good to go and they don't need my services. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of comes back, right? Like the, to what we initially started speaking about, which was the idea of essentially having that, that credibility, that, that trust factor there. Um, and I know we're coming up on to time here, so I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but if someone was looking to get a hold of you, what would be the best way that they would be able to reach you directly? So to clarify, if someone was looking to reach you, what is the best way that they can do that to learn more about your services, Layla? or to learn about W2R solutions, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, certainly. The best way to get a hold of me is either through LinkedIn or on my website. My website may be easier to spell than my name, uh, and it's W2 as in the number 2R, as in Robert Solutions, uh, with an S.com. And I... That's my website. My phone number is on there. My email address is on there as well. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm on there and I treat my inbox like a, a new email address. So uh, if you message me, I will definitely get back to you. Amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so we'll make sure that we have show links and everything here in the show notes so that people can contact you directly. One of the final questions uh, that I had is the fact that we're both alumni from the MES program at Western. And I want to just leave a little bit of space where you can talk about the value of having higher education within your field on top of, say, maybe the knowledge that you learned. How have you found that having an MES degree or, you know, need not be from Western, that particular program, but they, a lot of times students, maybe they did engineering or they did a different field and they see the environment as a huge problem and they see these programs and, you know, they appeal to them, but they're not sure they're going to get in. A lot of time they are multidisciplinary, so you're fine, right? But they're not sure if that's the best choice 
I mean, for me, I find that one of the biggest benefits from MES has been the community retroactively around the program. Um, you know, the fact that we're connecting, the fact that I've met so many alumni. But for you, I guess I would ask, what have you found to be one of the biggest benefits? And maybe it was the educational material, right? Maybe it was the theory. But yeah, what would be maybe something that you'd say has been the biggest takeaway and some words of assurance for potential uh, graduates, candidates? Yeah, I think my favorite part of the MES was the fact that it was interdisciplinary. So it provided us with a very sick overview of the fact that you know, business idea needs to make business sense, that it needs to be profitable. Uh, it also explore the, the biological and the social aspects of our environmental actions. And that was really interesting. So it was, it was science, it was social science, it was business as well. So I really enjoyed that. And yeah, definitely just making the connections with all of my colleagues, past years, future years, um, with the alumni has been very invaluable to just grow that. And I feel like there's just that sense of community, like you said, um, that we're all connected in a way and we'll, we'll always have that, which is really nice. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there is there is a lot of benefits uh, that can come that can come from taking a course uh, or a program like that. And the fact that it was so interdisciplinary was definitely an appeal to me and made me feel that I'm not just going to be in only sciences because I, I come from, again, the comms background. Uh, but I definitely feel that it actually surprisingly gave me a lot of knowledge that I still apply today. I don't know if you feel the same, maybe. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. same. Yeah. All right. And then I guess, so last question here for you. Thanks so much for your time again. Uh, but last question, what does sustainability mean to you? Wow, that's, that's a good one. Sustainability to me means taking a holistic approach to, to everything that we do and the impact that it has on, on future generations. I mean, my work is focused on carbon footprints, but I also realize it's not the only uh, impact category that we should be looking at. There's also water usage, there's land usage, there's ozone depletion and the impact on our ecosystems. There is uh, the social aspect and the social injustice that usually goes with environmental um, degradation. So it's, it's considering all of those. And I know that can be really overwhelming, but just breaking it down to the values that you care about personally and uh, striving to to improve on those and um, basically lead with those values that that mean a lot to you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so accurate. I love that. I love that reflection. Yeah, awesome. Okay, thank you so much, and thank you everyone for listening. So feel free to connect with Layla. You can find her on LinkedIn. Definitely message. We've been chatting there. You're super active there. I love everything that you're posting through the platform. So keep it up. It's great to see your content online. And thanks once again for joining me on The Sustainable Kind. Thank you for having me. Hope you liked that episode with me and Layla, the tag. So she graduated with her master's in environment and sustainability from Western Ontario in 2012. Since then, she's worked as the manager of sustainability at Goodwill Industries in London, and most recently, as you heard, moved further south into the States.
now in Columbus, Ohio. If you're looking for any help with your carbon calculations, then definitely reach out to Layla and get a hold of her at W2R Solutions. She's most active on LinkedIn. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, coming up, I'm going to try something different, something with my host, Captivate. I'm sure you've probably heard it as we begin these pre-recording inserts. And as this continues, and I want to know what you think about this style. So feel free to send me a DM now on Instagram at the Sustainable Kind Show. That's where I'm most active posting content for this podcast. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed as we dived deeper into understand a sustainability professional in the field. Thanks for listening. This is Alex Leonard, host of the Creative Kind podcast and owner of the creative company AL Media. My business specializes in videos, mural paintings, and illustrations. From working as a radio DJ, journalist, illustrator, painter, and now video editor, I've worn many creative hats. So visit alexleonardmedia.com to work together.